0: Have you heard the story about the the new CEO who went into his brand new job and first job as a CEO and he's really excited and and on his way into the office he meets the the outgoing CEO and the the outgoing CEO says to him, look, I'm sure you're going to do a great job, um, but I can tell you right now that you are going to muck up once or twice. Uh, And when that happens, I've put some, some envelopes in the top drawer of the desk in your office. First time you muck up, take the first envelope, second time, second, third, third envelope. And the guy says, fine. Goes on a few months, things are going well. Uh, He makes a huge mistake. And he goes and he opens up the drawer and he takes up the first envelope and he opens it and it says, blame me. So he goes and he says, well, all of this is the outgoing CEO's fault. He, He left it in a shambles, that's fine. And everybody believed him and they blamed the old CEO and went on. A few months later, he makes another big mistake. He opens up the second envelope and it says, "Or well, blame the board. He says, well, this is this old board's fault. They're still a leftover from the old days. We've got to get rid of them. It's their fault. And they believe him. They throw out the board. Move on. A few months later, he, he again is not a very good CEO. He makes another mistake. And he opens up the third envelope and he looks at it and it says, prepare three envelopes. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can be here this morning. Lord, thank you that we have the honor and the privilege of, of hearing you speak to us through your word. Father, I pray that you would speak through me today. Lord, may my words be your words. May you speak to all of us. Amen. This morning we're, uh, we're continuing our uh, series of, of, of what it means to be a peacemaker, what it means to be a follower of the greatest peacemaker who ever was and, and who ever will be. And we saw two weeks ago that, that peace is an absolute priority for God. That although it's expensive... We have an ally who can help us when we look to the cross. And we know what eternity is. And we know that that peace stretches to eternity. Last week we saw that, that, that being a peacemaker is, is, is all about us being true to the calling that we have received as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. And, and we saw how God has called us to be united as one holy nation, one people under Christ, and, and how God wants us to not only be at peace with Him, but, but also to to live at peace and unity with each other, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And, and we saw that the side effect of that is, is that the world will see something of, of the character and, and the person of Jesus Christ in us. And this morning we're, we're going from a slightly different tack. We're looking at this the story in, in Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 13 to 21. Keep your fingers there if you've got your Bibles uh, open, and, and we've got this this incident, this this really small incident, where a bloke is coming to Jesus because he's got a fight on with his brother about an inheritance. Some, it's a money fight, bit of context here in in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has been telling his disciples and, and the crowd around them how much they are valued by God. And, and he's just finished by God. And he's just finished telling them that, that although the world will reject them and, and abuse them and, and turn them away because they're followers of Jesus, it doesn't matter because God has got them in their hand. And when you've got God, what else do you need? And he goes on and he says similar things like like Tim read for us earlier. Uh, you're worth more than two sparrows. Because God loves you. If you read through chapter 12, verse 13 comes as something of a shock. I mean, it's it's the whole conversation, the whole tone of the the passage just comes crashing down. I mean, you know what it's like when, when you're in a conversation and there's somebody there just waiting to get a word in edgeways. And I can imagine this bloke, he's, he's, he's tapping his foot, right? Yes, he's still speaking. Come on, Jesus, hurry up. I've got to ask you a question. Come on, come, come, come. And Jesus stops. He takes a pause at verse 12. And, and as soon as he does that, this man jumps up and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Luke doesn't tell us very much about this man. I I think it's fair to assume that he was a a younger brother. In those days, the older brother uh, was the one who who handled all the inheritance type of stuff. And and what we can can say is that that this younger brother feels that his older brother isn't playing fair by him. That that his brother is cheating him out of of some of the stuff that he wants. You can always hear the younger brothers thinking, I mean, why why shouldn't I get some more of the money? Why shouldn't I get some more of of my dad's land? Why should my big brother get more than I do? I reckon he's out to jip me. And Jesus, I need you to come and sort him out for me. And he thinks to himself, I've told my brother he's going to—he's he's ripping me off, and, and I need to go and get somebody. I'll get a respected person. I'll get Jesus, and he can make sure that my brother does the right thing by me. And it's not—it's not a totally absurd thing to do, is it? I mean, common practice back in those days, where if you had a family squabble, you'd go to a rabbi, to a teacher, and you'd say, "Would you come and mediate between us?" and and we'll sort it out that way. You can be a third party helping us to sort out our fight. But, but if you look at verse 13 here carefully, that this young bloke isn't going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, would you come and, and, and mediate between us? This bloke is going to Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, come on, do the right thing. Tell my brother that he needs to, to do right by me. He's there to say to Jesus, Jesus, you're supposed to be on my side. And I think it says a lot that that, that he goes to Jesus while there's this huge crowd around him. And and, and what he's doing really is, is accusing his brother in public of, of being a cheat and a fraud and a liar and And all sorts of things. And and he just doesn't care who hears these accusations because his brother is wrong and his brother has injured him and and his brother must just take it. And if he hurt his brother's reputation, well, so be it. I don't know, maybe the older brother was cheating the younger brother. Maybe he wasn't dividing the inheritance fairly. I I don't know, Luke doesn't tell us. This guy only gets one verse in the Bible. But it strikes me that this young man from verse 13 is not so worried about justice being done as he's worried about getting my fair share, getting my stuff, getting enough for me. I mean, what was feeding this fight in this family was, was greed. I mean, moldy and slimy and rotten green greed. But do you think the man goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm really greedy today. Would you tell my brother to share? We don't admit things like that, do we? It's much easier to play the blame game. Much easier to focus all of our thoughts and our energy and our blame on, on the other person. And I reckon that that's actually part of our of our makeup as sinful people to, to want to blame somebody else. Uh, somebody once said, we blame others, uh, small things in others and pass over greater things in ourselves. I mean, we saw last week that Jesus, through Paul, says to us, bear with one another in love. And It's so much easier just to blame each other rather than to bear with one another. I might not be perfect, but oof, you are so much worse. She's the real problem. You caused this. I'm the innocent one. I just reacted. You know, if we flip through our Bibles... We see this pattern of blaming people come up again and again and again. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, just turn there quickly. Genesis 3 verse 11. Great story. Adam and Eve um, eat from the fruit that God said, don't touch. Um, They realize they're naked. They, They hide in the bushes away from God. God comes and finds them and he says to them, Adam, mate, what's going on here? What has happened? And, and Adam turns around to God um, in about um, verse 12, and he says, Oh God, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. I mean, do you hear the blame shifting? God, the woman gave me the fruit and I ate it. And actually, you put the woman here, so it's your fault, God. And he goes on, and God, God kind of in grace overlooks that a little bit, and he says, right O Eve, tell, tell us what's happening. What did you do, Eve? What did you do? And Eve looks to God and she says, um, verse 13, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. And she passes the blame again, and Satan doesn't try to pass the blame because he he absolutely cannot. I mean, right from the beginning, where where blame passes. Or, Or go forward a little bit to Genesis chapter 37. Um, we won't actually read there but but Joseph and and his brothers and you know the story of Joseph and he totally annoys his brothers something chronic until they are so fed up with him that they throw him in a pit and eventually sell him into slavery. They blame his death on on a wild animal. But it's also, Joseph deserved what he got not our fault that he was such a little insert word of choice here. Genesis 38, Judah and Tamar, a terrible sordid chapter this, Judah um, thinks his daughter-in-law is a prostitute, he sleeps with her, three months later she turns up, she's rather pregnant, Judah turns around and says, well burn her to death. Very quick to blame her, very slow to blame himself. Genesis 39, we've got Joseph again and and Potiphar, uh, his employer's wife, and and she tries to accuse him of, uh, well, she tries to seduce him. He says no, she blames him of of trying to rape her falsely and, and he gets thrown into jail. Blame, 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 blame. I mean, we can go on. How many hours have we got to to go through the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, um, Abraham and Sarah, Moses, King David, we just blame, we pass the blame time and time and time again. It's it's just part of who we are. When we're in trouble, we blame somebody else. I mean, think of a time when you were in conflict with someone, when you were in a big fight. It's actually uh, when I was younger, my... My parents would say to us, write down a list of all the good things about your brother or your sister. Oh, when you're fighting with somebody, how difficult is it to write down something positive about somebody else when you're fighting? But how easy to say, oh, well, they did that, and they did that, and they did that, and they did that, and they did that. And we turn the ledger over and say, things I've done wrong. Go have a coffee and come back to that. (laughs) And doesn't that sort of blame shifting behaviour just put an end to conflict so quickly? When we get our friends on our side. We draw up the battle lines until our churches and our families and our workplaces and and whatever our communities can, can look like a scene from Braveheart and we've got people on this side of the argument and people on this side of the argument and it's just I blame you, you blame me, and things escalate and things escalate and things escalate. And there's division. I mean, that's what we got here in in chapter 12, verse 13 of Luke. We've got a family divided, and we've got a brother here who is accusing his brother and blaming his brother of being the bad one. But look at what Jesus says in chapter 12, verse 14. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? I mean, do you hear the tone in Jesus' voice? I like the way the message puts it. Mister, what makes you think it's any of my business to judge or mediate for you? The guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, come on, you're on my side, aren't you? And Jesus turns to him and he says, I'm not choosing sides here. I'm not choosing sides. I'm not being roped into this fight. Just as an aside, you know, the first time I read uh, verse 14 as I was preparing for the sermon, I, I had to go back and read it twice. I mean, Jesus says, who appointed me judge and arbiter over you two? I mean, isn't Jesus ultimately the judge? Isn't he ultimately the one who arbitrates all things? I mean, yes, but, but if you think about it, for Jesus to have taken sides and sorted out this little family squabble, it would have been like shifting the deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, yes, Jesus came to bring peace and, and real peace and lasting peace. But, but for that to come, He had to deal with the real problem. Not the surface issues, not the surface squabbles. He had to deal with the cause of why there is conflict and why there are squabbles and why there are divisions. And and here in Luke chapter 12, Jesus doesn't deal with the surface conflict, the surface fight. He he doesn't give a judgment, but instead He turns to the man and He says, watch out. And He says it to us as well, He warns us to watch out, to, to be on our guard against all kinds of greed. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his stuff. says Jesus basically to us, sort out your own heart first. I mean, what was motivating this man in verse 13, this, this one verse in the Bible, man, was, was his greed. And the parable that Jesus twelves, tells in verse 16 to 20 is all about our, our attitude to, to having stuff and wanting stuff. I mean, the farmer who's, who's so worried about having more here and now and living it up and having a good time and, and the whole point of the parable is just to say, well, what's the point? What's the point of being worried about stuff when there are bigger issues at stake? When, I mean, when, when the real issue is how are you at with God? What's your relationship like with God? I mean, why would you be a fool do worry about stuff. And we saw in our last series that a fool is someone who rejects God and ignores God and lives without God. I wish Luke had told us how the man reacted to Jesus' parable. in effect what Jesus is saying to him is get the log out of your own eye man stop stop worrying about this this issue with your brother and start thinking about yourself and about your own heart I mean do you realize how stupid it is to To be fighting over stuff that is useless when when all you need is God. Didn't you hear me just a few verses back when I've been telling you how valuable you are to God? Aren't you going to listen to me in the next half of the chapter as I tell you again how valuable you are to God and how God provides all that you need And, and why are you worried about stuff when what you need is God? Now, not all of our conflicts today are going to be about stuff and and that, but but I think the story and and the incident here translates into our fights and our conflicts today. Because Jesus is is warning us against, against all kinds of greed. I mean, what is a conflict? A conflict is a difference of opinions where I want something and you want something. I mean, isn't that why we fight so often? Because we want it done our way? Because we want it how we want it? What does James say? James chapter 4 tells us why we fight. I need to get finger warmers on my Bible. James chapter 4, 1 to 3, James says, Well, what does cause fights and quarrels among you? Tell me, don't they come from, from your desires that battle within you? You fight because you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You, you quarrel and fight, you do not have because you didn't ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So, how do we deal with conflict in our lives? How do we react when we're fighting with somebody? Maybe a family member, maybe your boss maybe a co-worker. Surely one of the keys is that we need to stop playing the blame game and instead look and, 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 and look deep within our own hearts and, 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 and confess our, our, our sins and our evil desires and, and our emphasis on me, 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 me. I mean for Jesus it's it's not the surface issues of the conflict. The real problem is that we are <laughs> we're the kind of people who bring conflict into our lives because we're the kind of people who want everything for ourselves. And what we need is is a new heart, we need a new mind. We need to be to be rich towards God in the in the words of verse twenty one. So that we can live in the light of of His goodness and the knowledge that that, that He is all that we need. I mean, that's why Jesus came. We can try and and sweep clear our minds and get rid of our our wants and say, well, I'm not going to worry about me, me, me. But it will keep coming back. We might resolve a conflict today, but there will be another one next week. We need a new heart. It says Paul, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, when Jesus died, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Yes, we do need to deal with our everyday conflicts. And we can either deal with them by, by blaming each other and escalating things. Or we can seriously sit back and say, well, why am I fighting this fight? Am I fighting this fight because I'm driven by, by my own wants, by my own desires, because, because I want to be number one? we need to pray and say God change change me